BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello everyone and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today I'm delighted to talk to Saeed Abdul Latif. You are most welcome, sir. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for having me, Paul. It's a real pleasure to it's see a, you. It's a pleasure to be here. So. Um, for those who don't know, um, as a Catholic priest and monk, Father Hilary Higi recently converted to Islam. His new Muslim name is Said Abdul Latif. When news of his conversion became public, his name was the number one trending Google search item in the Arab world at that time. Today, for the first time, Said will share the story of his extraordinary journey from Christianity to Islam. And recently, Said, you wrote on your blog the following beautiful words, I think. You wrote, all of life is a pilgrimage. All of life is a seeking of that primordial oneness of God, a yearning towards the one who is our beginning, our end, our all and everything, end quote. And I find it fascinating that the Quran says this, you will find that the nearest ineffection towards the believers are those who say we are Christians because there are priests and monks among them and because these people are not given to arrogance. That's Quran 5.82. And another place we read, it is Allah who guides whoever he wills and he knows best who are fit to be guided. Quran 2856. So, Said, could you possibly share something of your spiritual journey as a Catholic priest and monk uh, and how you came to be interested in Islam? Uh, well, it's certainly a long, it was a long journey for me. Um, and I shared a bit of that in my blog. Uh, I feel that, you know, I was raised a sort of nominal Protestant Christian. Um, but even if my family was nominally Christian, if they were nominally Christian themselves, I, I always really took to uh, religion and to faith. I spent a lot of time as a child uh, in my room reading my Bible, uh, mm. studying it, um, praying, uh, and just uh, researching religion and the faith. Uh, it's, it's always been a, uh, 
a deep, passionate interest for me, which eventually led me into the monastery. Um, but of course, you know, Islam, I, I didn't have any um, real exposure to Islam until I was in college. And until actually, and this is, this is a story that's uh, similar to a lot of uh, Muslim converts in the United States. My first real exposure, I would say, was 9-11, actually. Really? Gosh. Uh, so, yeah. That's pretty <laughs> um, bad. <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> yeah, it is pretty bad. But uh, um, yeah, before that, my, my only uh, understanding of Islam came from uh, the film uh, Not Without My Daughter, I don't know if people remember that, but it was a it was a sort of a propaganda film that came out in the early '90s, I think, uh, and that painted Islam in a very poor light. Um, but yeah, I was in college when 9/11 happened. Wow! And um, and like a lot of Americans, you know, we we started to um, question, you know, what is Islam? What is uh, you know, why did this happen, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so uh, I went to, I was at University of Pittsburgh, and um, about a month or two after that event, the local Islamic Center had a open house. Mm. So they invited everybody in the community and the surrounding community to come. Uh, they shared a meal. They had talks about Islam. Um, and uh, that was really my first exposure. And from there, uh, I started to take classes at University of Pittsburgh on Islam, Islamic civilization. And that was my first uh, in these classes. Um, we not only read about Islam, but I heard for the first time the recitation of the Quran. Oh. And uh, it really, yeah, I, I know there are, there are stories that people convert simply by hearing the recitation of the Quran. And for me, that was uh, that was a very strong, I, I felt a very strong uh, pull just hearing the recitation of the Quran mm. in Arabic. And um, yeah, that was my, uh, that would be around, two, that was uh, the spring of 2002. Wow. Um, and so I, it was shortly after that, that I, you know, I started to learn more about Islam. And then I discovered uh uh, a big thing for me, I think, as I discovered um, Sufism um, and uh, what was it, um, the the poems of uh, of uh, Rumi, mm -hmm. and at the time I was going through personally a, a sort of uh, agnostic phase in my life. So I was raised nominally Protestant, and I would look around in Protestantism in America. And what I would see, I felt something was missing. Mm. There wasn't there wasn't a connection with a tradition or a past. It seemed to be a kind of consumer mentality, mm. you know. It's quite individualistic, isn't it? it quite yes. Sometimes, yeah. Right. It's very individualistic. It's very like they're trying to sell you something mm. <laughs> in a sense. Sell you heaven. You just got to say yeah. And you're yeah, yeah. To get to heaven, yeah. Yeah, I would go to these sort of revivals, and they'd be kind of uh, rock concerts uh, yes. with uh, sort of Christianity plugged into it. And I felt like, you know, whatever Christianity is, whatever I'm reading in the Bible, this isn't, this doesn't seem, this isn't it. <laughs> so um, I went on this search. I, I became a sort of agnostic as a teen. 
not in the mm. sense that I didn't believe in God, but I, I, I felt that the truth was there and I had to find it, you know? So yeah. I, I studied all different religions and all their philosophies. I wanted to, you know, start from scratch to figure it out myself or what the truth was. Mm. Uh, so part of this openness, you know, was an openness to Islam and, and discovering the depth of, uh, the spiritual life in Sufism and in the poetry of Rumi. Mm. And um, that was something that really appealed to me uh, back in my college years. Mm. And I was really attracted to Islam back then. And I, I made a connection with the Imam at the time here at the Islamic center. And he connected me with other people, like-minded people at the Islamic center. And by, by this point, it's 2003. And I felt, you know, I felt really drawn to convert at that time in 2003 to Islam. Uh, but back then, for me, and I think it was part of, you know, my own flawed thinking at the time, I felt that for social reasons and, you know, there was something, you know, having grown up Christian, I felt that there was to make this move into Islam, uh, I would of necessity would have to, you know, quote, reject Christ. And I think that was a flawed understanding back then, but it yeah. was something, you know, I, you know, it wasn't just, um, I felt like it was a line that I couldn't cross at the time. Because the, 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 time, the time then was the post 9-11 United States. Yes, yeah. The, the Plus, animosity towards Muslims and Muslim communities in America and globally was right. extraordinary. Uh, and, you know, for you to convert to Islam wasn't just a private religious change of allegiance. Mm -hmm. It would have been an existential civilizational change. And that's yes. a thing to do in, Amer in America of all places. Yeah, absolutely. I think there still is a clash of civilizations sort of um, thing that goes on with the conversion to Islam, because mm -hmm. I, I think even now, you know, I think these are a lot better than they were post 9-11 right. now. But even now, I think, it, you know, for someone in the West to become, to go from Christianity to atheism, for example, I think is much more socially acceptable than from Christianity to Islam. Because I think there is a sort of clash of civilizations aspect to it, which I don't think is fair, actually. But uh, but I think that is the mindset. But certainly back then, you know, I, I would think, like, what would my family think? What would my friends, you know, I would be socially outcast, etc. Mm -hmm. So, so I, you know, I living in Pittsburgh and going to University of Pittsburgh um, and feeling drawn towards, uh, you know, hearing the Quran chanted in Arabic, uh, the next best thing for me, and I was, I was taking classes on Orthodox Christianity. Oh. I felt, I found a depth in theology, spirituality, spiritual life in Orthodox Christianity and in the, in, in the deeper Western tradition as well that I didn't know existed growing mm -hmm. up as a Protestant, mm -hmm. which I yeah. discovered also in college. And, um, just two blocks from my house uh, was, is, was it's, it's close to where I live now, actually. 
the Antiochian. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. An Orthodox cathedral. Um, so I would I would go there, and I knew the priests, and I, I um, would attend services there, and it was really beautiful. And they chanted, a lot of times they would chant the Divine Liturgy in Arabic. Wow. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I felt that if, uh, if I wasn't to become Muslim, then I would find here at least something similar, actually, mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the chanting of the um, Divine Liturgy in Arabic and in the depth of, uh, you know, the Orthodox tradition. So eventually um, uh, I became... Orthodox. And for a brief period of time, I was Catholic originally. um, And I never really saw a a huge disagreement between Catholic and, you know, the Catholic Church and Orthodoxy. Uh, My own uh, family history, um, my family was largely, we were largely Catholics going back generations. Uh, Even though I was raised Protestant, my father's father was uh, German Presbyterian, which is an actual thing. There's a German Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. So, but outside of that, that's why I was raised Presbyterian. But outside of that, uh, my family was all Catholic, essentially. Right. Right. And in my family, um, there aren't many practicing Catholics per se. Uh, but I had two great aunts, uh, one on my father's side and one on my mother's side that were, that were nuns. And they're still very well-known nuns in Pittsburgh now. Uh, they died, uh, one in 1989, one in 1997. Um, but, uh, but there, um, there, there is a, there, there's a strong Catholic background in my family. So, so initially I felt, you know, this draw towards Orthodox Christianity, uh, but Orthodoxy is very, um, you know, the churches are, well, I mean, there's the Russian Orthodox Greek Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, um, they tend to be sort of nationalized. Yeah, nationalist mm-hmm. church in Egypt, which is another Orthodox church. Coptic, yeah. Um, it's going to be quite nationalistic or, or nation orientated, rather exactly. Than yeah, and we're seeing about the Pope. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're seeing the the fruits of that a bit more now with the sort of the the schism. Mm. Well, I'm not sure if it's a full blown schism right now, but between Moscow and the um, the yeah. ecumenical patriarch, the Greeks and the Russians, etc., yeah. uh, and all of this is a is a is a, a legacy of the the Great Schism, ten fifty four, when mm. the Orthodox in the East, in the Eastern Roman Empire, broke away from 
the what became you know the Roman Catholic Church in the West. Um, but the the Orthodox Church is sort of uh, started formed in sort of national churches in a sense. Hmm. So initially for me, I felt you know my background and my family background was Roman Catholic. Uh, we I'm not Greek or Serbian or Russian or any of these things. So I briefly was Roman Catholic uh, for a while before I became Orthodox. Um, and uh, yeah, and it was difficult that, you know, I was, uh, this was in 2005. Um, and I think, you know, at the time, this was during the time of um, Pope Benedict uh, and he, he had just started his reforms uh, to, you know, bring back the, the Latin mass and whatnot, which, uh, um, but at the time, you know, there wasn't really any Latin mass in the area mm. that I could go to. And uh, the local church that I was going to, um, the liturgy was not very good, <laughs> the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and the priest was very liberal. There was nobody there my age as, a, you know, a college student. Yeah. Um, and like I said, right down the street was a Orthodox cathedral. Um, there were a lot of young people there, a lot of people interested in Orthodox in, in uh, monasticism. Uh, so eventually, yeah, I went there and became. It just became, it felt like a natural thing, like uh, mm -hmm. uh, to go there and just become Orthodox. And so the, initially, there was no like rejection of the papacy. I wasn't rebaptized or anything. Right. Um, so so uh, yeah. So very early on, I felt you know. Um, this move from, you know, Protestantism into Catholicism and Orthodoxy, I felt like the, the Catholic Church at one point, the whole, the whole church was one and, you know, had divided over the years. And I felt that, you know, the division was, the main cause of that division was essentially sin. <laughs> and, uh, and I worked, uh, I, you know, before I entered the monastery, which was in 2009, uh, I, I did a lot of work to try to, you know, bring together Catholics and Orthodox and dialogue yeah. and uh, just a, a working friendship, I think, uh, on the ground. So I was very interested in, um, I guess, Christian unity and in the sense of uh, um, moving towards a wholeness, which I feel that uh, Christianity had largely lost, I think, through mm -hmm. through the years. There there are literally tens of thousands of Christian yeah. in the world. It's quite extraordinary. You think of Islam, mm -hmm. think well, there's uh, the Sunni uh, majority, and then you get Shia and other kind of sections. Right. But in Christianity is tens of thousands of denominations all around the, around the world. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's massively more splintered and split up. And that's been the case really since the first century, since the time of Paul and so on. We've had these split. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was my early, um, that was my early religious life in my twenties, I think, and and all through this, and I talk about this in my blog, uh, all through this time, you know, I'm 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 trying to make sense of uh, of Islam, how it fits in, mm. uh, and it's and it's it's all through the news because you know the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan is going on, uh, you, you hear stories about. I, can you just clarify? I'm, I'm a bit confused. Yes. On the one hand, you have a, a clearly an appreciation of Rumi, that this uh, uh -huh. popular, um, you know, Muslim poet. He was a jurist. He was a, you know, he was a, 
um, for many centuries ago. On the other hand, you're constantly being fed a diet mm -hmm. of, of war, hatred, right. terrorist mm -hmm. narratives coming from mm -hmm. Fox News and CNN and whatever as an American. So what's going on in your head? Are, are, are you presumably quite conflicted, perhaps, with these kind yeah. of these antagonistic images, the positive and the extremely negative? So mm -hmm. it must have been quite quite confusing time. I think it's I think it was confusing for a lot of people mm. uh, because I, I think um, what we're presented as Islam in the media, and even from other Muslims themselves, I think sometimes actually, mm. uh, is not necessarily what Islam is uh, traditionally. So when I discovered Rumi and I discovered uh, Sufism, uh, I understood. I would actually, I actually sought out, you know, Sufis and Sufis, American Sufis, mm. <laughs> which uh, which most of the time I, I got these sort of. Um, and I said this in my blog too. Yes. Sort of these sort of the hippies, <laughs> yeah, you know, from the nineteen sixties that Very didn't much have anything. They were really, American rather than a Sufi, I think. Yes, yeah, they really had nothing to do with Islam. Mm. So I realized that you know true Sufism um, was only possible within traditional Islam, mm. uh, and anything outside of that was just not really Sufism. It was something yeah. else. Yeah. Uh, so when I would seek out uh, these, you know, Sufism, yeah, it was it was kind of difficult because I think uh, you know even uh, even now uh, there's a sort of mindset uh, within like the stricter uh, Salafist you know understanding of Islam, that Sufism is very um, questionable or maybe even dangerous. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I think that was a key for me to work out, and it took a while to work this out to understand the, the place of Sufism in Islam and, and to see that, you know, traditionally up until maybe, you know, the 1700s or so, uh, Sufism uh, was was essentially, um, you know, went hand in hand with, with what normative traditional Islam was. And it was just, it was just simply, it was just simply the, the I don't want to say the mystical expression of Islam, but it was, the, it was the deeper, um, spiritual understanding of the faith. So mm -hmm. there is the, you know, the, the exoteric, the, the exoteric faith, you know, which, which everyone follows or is expected to follow. You have to follow. It's, you know, it's the, the body of the faith, you know, uh, the seven pillar, I mean, the, the pillars of Islam, you know, saying the Salat prayers and whatnot. And um, this is just sort of the, the basic understanding of Islam. And then mm -hmm. there's this deeper mystical, spiritual side to it which uh which is like this the spirit of the body of islam mm. and uh, so i think when i would seek out um islam early on i would see uh these two aspects of islam that were often i felt divorced from each other um you'd have the the sort of the hippie sufis on one side and um the, sometimes the very strict sort of more salafist leaning understanding on the other and uh it took a while for me to to see how the two kind of merged mm -hmm. together in a, a trish, traditional understanding of islam um so yeah and it wasn't until fairly recently that i began to understand this and um 
so all through my twenties, yes, it, it was, uh, it was being fed this constant, uh, mm. media narrative of, you know, Islam is evil and mm. it's going to take over the West and, um, Sharia law in America is right around the corner. <laughs> I mean, how many times have we heard that back in the 2000s and the early 2010s uh, sh that we were going to live in Sharia law in, in the United States if we didn't stop you know, Islam now? And now look at the state of <laughs> the state of things here. Uh, I yeah. think we're pretty far yeah. from Sharia law. Yeah, and of course, the, the the term Sharia or Sharia law in mm -hmm. America and often in the West conjures up images of hand chopping and stoning mm -hmm. and whatnot, which of course is a complete travesty. That's not what uh, Sharia right, right, right. Is, is about. It's about it's about everything from prayer to charity to inheritance to exactly. Yeah, criminal law is a is a tiny fraction of the overall body of uh, Islamic law, mm -hmm. and and even the hadood punishments. They're known. There are very strict conditions upon them. They're not just implemented. Uh, right. We'll go down that path, but there's some excellent articles. Uh, Professor Jonathan Brown has written uh, uh, very eloquently and insightfully about uh, a correct understanding of the Hadood punishments in Islam. They're not what the West think they are. Mm -hmm. um, they're very popular and it terrorifies people in the West. Um, but it's not yeah. any correct or informed understanding of Islam, unfortunately. Right. I, yeah, and I think that's a big um, that's a big obstacle uh, for a lot of people in the West. To understand Islam is is this uh, caricature of Islam that's sort of presented mm. to us um, that really has uh, nothing to do with uh, what what traditional Islam yeah. is, um, and you, particularly you Sharia law. Yes. So I yeah one of the things I did uh, I used to there was a blog there were a number of in the 2010s uh, I I entered the monastery in 2009. Well, that was what I to ask you about. Can yes. you just tell us very briefly what is a monastery? <laughs> monastery is, is a place so monasticism started in roughly around the fourth century in egypt um the uh christian so christians and you know, early christianity to be a christian you profess you know christ you know profess christianity that would often be a death sentence so you would be um you know you'd be sent to the arena so to speak you know to uh so, so in early Christianity, you know, to profess your faith, um, it, you know, you would, you would often give everything, you'd give your life. And so once uh, the Roman Empire became Christian itself, yeah. uh, there was no longer that really radical um, expression of, of, of faith. So everyone was Christian at that point. So, mm -hmm. so uh there are men and women, you know, to give their life radically to, to Christ or to God, they would go out in the desert and uh, live a life of um, prayer and repentance. And, uh, and a monk comes from the Greek word monikos, which means one. So you would be solid, you know, uh, oftentimes you would, you would think that there was in the world, there was only you and God and you lived your life totally dedicated to God. And mm -hmm. so that's what a monastery was, and that's what it is. And you would often go out into the desert, so to speak, to live a life uh, free of, you know, sort of earthly distractions. You wouldn't be married. You wouldn't have like an outside job. And you mm -hmm. would just live a life um, 
dedicated to prayer and repentance. Mm. And uh, in the early days in, in Egypt, the beginning of monasticism, it was often solitary men and women that would go out into the desert. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, uh, once more people started to do that, uh, communities started to form. And uh, so now a monastery is essentially um, you know, a community of people that are living a very uh, particular way of life that are, you know, the monastery uh, exists to free people of distractions so that they can focus solely on prayer and repentance. So in, in the Christian context now, especially in the Catholic and Orthodox context, context uh, if you were to give your life, you know, most radically to God, you would do so often in the context of a monastery. You know, mm-hmm. you give up everything, uh, as it says in the Gospels, you know, Christ said in the Gospels, you know, uh, if you wish to be perfect, go and sell everything you own and follow me. And so that's what I did. I <laughs> I didn't really have anything to begin with. So <laughs> I was in, in my 20s and uh, I left everything and went to the monastery in 2009. So this was an, an Orthodox monastery rather yes. than Catholic one? Or? Yeah, it was an Orthodox monastery. Where was this? Was it in California? Or, or uh, this was, was in West Virginia. Virginia. Um, and it's a, it's, it's, I was the, I was the uh, guest master there for a while. Oh. And uh, I would often tell people um, that we were the largest uh, English speaking Orthodox men's monastery in the universe. In America, but no, yeah. <laughs> in the universe. <laughs> because, well, it's kind of funny, but we, we actually were, as far as I know, I don't know what's on other planets, but, uh, but yeah, we were, we are, we were at the time, I think they still are now, but it's a wonderful monastery. It's just, uh, there's a wonderful men there. Um, so how many monks it, were there in this largest monastery in the universe? <laughs> English speaking, the largest thing. If you go to Russia or Mount Athos, there uh, are um, monasteries with um, hundreds of monks, uh, you know, very large. But as far as English speaking, we were, we were the largest one. Okay. Um, when I, when I went there in 2009, there were, there were only 12 monks. Um, and then uh, over the years, it doubled to about 24, 26 or so. Gosh. Which isn't very big, but but as far as uh, Orthodox monasticism in the United States, um, it's still very small, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's growing. But um, uh, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? So yeah, so I entered the monastery two thousand nine, uh, and my best friend, who was a Orthodox Christian uh, from California, he. When I entered the monastery, he went into the Navy, uh, and he has a really great mind for languages, and he uh, started learning Arabic in uh, the Navy language school. And he mastered Arabic, and he became a uh, translator for the U.S. government, for the Navy. So mm-hmm. so we had a lot of interesting conversations because we were both you know, on the sides uh, interested in Islam. And uh, while I was at the monastery, and he was translating again this is in the early 2010s all this sort mm. of a uh, jihadist sort of stuff <laughs> coming out of uh, you know isis and things and we would have these conversations about islam and uh and back then you know i i 
I describe it as a sort of a, a love hate relationship with, with Islam. So what, uh, so there were things that I would see in Islam that I thought were very beautiful, but then again, I would see these other things and I would read, you know, I read really deeply uh, a lot of the anti Islamic um, rhetoric, uh, I forget some of the names, but I think I, you mentioned uh, Robert Spencer. You Robert you, Spencer, uh, yes, uh, American. I think he was Catholic uh, uh, mm -hmm. writer, Orthodox now, or whatever. Uh, yeah, there's he, a, he was particularly bitter towards uh, Islam. Yeah, you know. very bitter. Uh, a book called uh, "The Sword of the Prophet" uh, mm. uh, by a Serbian author. And so, yeah, I was I was really uh, weighing in. You know, I, I I tried to get both sides of the story in a sense. Uh, so, so I would, I would oscillate between a sort of admiration for Islam on one hand, and then a uh, very critical attitude mm -hmm. towards Islam on the, on, you know, I would, I would oscillate between these two and, and I would have these conversations with my friend, um, my best friend who was, uh, translating again, a lot of the things coming from ISIS and <laughs> these extremists. And, uh, it's so it's yours for, on behalf of the U S government is translating from yes. Arabic. Um, uh, for intelligence purposes, presumably ISIS material mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Al Qaeda material uh, for the U.S. government, and you're a friend of yours. So, what what happens? Because I actually know I know what happened to him. But what happened to him? What happened to him? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, well, you know, for me, a lot of you know, a lot of things sort of came together in in the past year. Mm. Um, you know, the, making these connections and reading deeper into Islam and discovering. Uh, a lot of uh, additional sources I didn't know, like Abdul Hakim Murad, like Tim Winter and whatnot. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, so I finally, everything sort of clicked for me at one point, and I just realized that this is sort of what I believe um, last year, actually. Uh, mm. But at yeah, the but same time, I thought, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Himself? So, so uh, at the same uh, time, yeah. when I was uh, um, going through my own thought processes, right. my friend started, uh, he started messaging me um these sort of cryptic messages like he would say like oh you know i i'm thinking he would he said to me one day he said you know i'm thinking of uh, memorizing the quran i said like why why would you do that yeah why he said oh so i could witness to muslims m muslims better and i was mm -hmm. like oh, all right okay yeah. and then, so he would send me these uh, sort of cryptic uh, messages and, I, and and at some point we sort of uh i guess like came out to each other as, as secretly Muslim in a sense in our private police. And so, yeah, he, uh, he, yeah, he converted to Islam at the same time that I did really internally, but, but completely independent of me. So uh, he was, yeah, it, that was one of the things that I felt, you know, cause I thought, you know, am I just reading into this or am I trying to convince myself of something, you know, mm. Uh, trying to be critical of my own, um, I, I don't know, questioning my own motivations my, myself, you know. But the fact that he uh, became Muslim and reached the same conclusions as I did at the same time that I did, uh, sort of, I, I felt that, I felt that, um, not legitimized, but it, it, it I felt that there was definitely something going on beyond my own uh, thought process that, you know, there, there, you know, 
God's grace, the grace of Allah, the guidance of Allah had, had brought us to the same place, you know? Uh, yeah. And it wasn't simply my thinking, no. reading myself into something, you know? No, I, I quoted so. this, this ayah from the Quran earlier. Um, it is Allah who guides whoever he wills, and he knows best who are fit to be guided. And mm -hmm. I like that from this uh, translation. And I mentioned this translation, the clear right. one. That's one of those that you specifically reference on your blog that was helpful to you, uh, an English translation. Um, so that's what that verse is translated from. Uh, it's a beautiful verse. Yeah. Yeah. So my best friend had become Muslim at the same time that I did, but, but that it was just, uh, yeah, it was just amazing to me that he, he had reached the same conclusions that I had to, and, mm -hmm. and, and he more than anybody I felt was a, you know, a spiritual brother to me. We were sort of like a soulmates in a, in a, in a spiritual sense. And yeah, the fact that he had reached the same conclusions sort of, um, I felt sealed the deal for me <laughs> i felt that it was a, something something was real there and not reading yeah, myself it wasn't just something. in your head it was yeah someone exactly. else was on the same path yeah i can see how that'd be a huge uh confirmation of the the authenticity uh really yes. what you were going to when, mm -hmm. when a trusted friend who was a spiritual guide or a spiritual companion uh also experienced that uh, i can see why that would help be helpful to you mm -hmm. But I'm interested. You, you, you weren't just a monk. You became a priest uh, as well, which is yes. a whole other thing, isn't it? Yeah. There's yeah. There's a lot. Um, yeah. There's a lot of misunderstanding. I think you know if if Americans and uh, Christians have a, a a large misunderstanding for Islam, I think uh, you know it's true that I think a lot of Muslims might not understand Christianity <laughs> in uh, in, in certain aspects. So, uh, and I say that because, you know, I watched as, uh, all these sort of news stories broke about me <laughs> converting to Islam. And, uh, there was a, a confusion about, you know, monasticism, you know, is he a priest, is he a monk, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, to, to go to a monastery, a monastic, uh, vocation is, is you don't necessarily go to be a priest, and actually, yeah. So it's not like a, um, it's not like a seminary where you go, no. and um, you specifically go and you train for a number of years, and then you're ordained, and then you go to a parish. But yeah. a monastery, you just simply go to live a life of, of prayer and repentance, etc. And so that's what I did. So I didn't um, intend to be a priest. Uh, that wasn't my goal. I just wanted to live a life relatively, you know, sort of obscure. You know, you leave the world and you go and you just focus on your own salvation and prayer. Mm. And that was my intent. Um, but uh, pretty uh, quickly, probably too quickly, I think, uh, I was uh, uh, normally the novitiate. This is the first part of monasticism, lasts for three years. Um uh, but mine lasted two years, and then after the my third year, I was ordained as a priest, and so, which is pretty quick. <laughs> so I was, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it takes many years. I'm trained to be a doctor or something, usually, yeah. usually and uh, it takes yeah. lots of years of study of theology and philosophy uh -huh. and so on. But uh, you, you obviously had show great talent and promise, and you were fast tracked through it, perhaps. Yeah, there there was a monk. I think a wise monk at the monastery who said, um, uh, <laughs> it was kind of a joke, but he said, if, 
if you don't want to do something, uh, uh, just, uh, what did he say? He said, if you don't want to do something, just do a bad job and they won't ask you to do it again. <laughs> so, but so, and then you can, then you're free to go and, and, and pray and, you know, be left alone. But I think when I went there, you know, uh, I guess I, I, I proved myself to be competent. So um, I was put in charge of, uh, you know, all sorts of different things, you know, right. uh, the gift shop, you know, the business aspects, because we sold and made you know, soap and incense and lots of things. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was the guest master. Um, I just had, uh, I did a lot of the printing work. Um, so yeah, pre pretty early on, um, I was just put in charge of uh, a lot of aspects of the monastery. And so, you know, one day you're living in the world, you're just a guy in the world in the world, so to speak. And mm -hmm. then, you know, the next day you're uh, a priest monk, you know, uh, and a spiritual father, you know, in charge of, uh, you know, all these aspects of monastic life. And it's, it's, you know, it was pretty quick. And for me, it was really stressful, I think, because I am by nature, a very kind of a reserved and shy introvert. <laughs> so even doing interviews is really difficult for me. <laughs> so, um, well, I do appreciate very much your your, showing, uh, your, your life in sort of uh, open way today. Um, the, the timing of it for Ramadan is, uh, is yes. a great thing, I think, for people. Yes, when yeah, when the whole thing this the whole thing mm. hit recently. Well, I'll get into that later. But I've I've sort of been in hiding, just <laughs> this overwhelming, uh, which I really appreciate. You know, a lot of the support that I've been beginning recently, but it's been it's been quite a um, surreal for me recently. That's yep. something. But that's something I could talk about in a minute, but, uh, um, but yeah, in, in the monastery, uh, uh, so I was ordained in 2013 and I love monastic life. Uh, there was a bit of burnout after a while, I think, because mm. I would be, you know, I'd be up from, you know, 4 a.m. and I start my private prayers and then we start prayers in church at 5 a.m. And that would last until 6 30, 7 30. Wow. And uh, we'd be in church about a third of the waking day, I think. Um, and then and then the rest of it was largely, you know, uh, work. So mm -hmm. I would do a lot of work. Um, and I was taking classes online, uh, seminary classes. So I'd get up at 4 a.m. And then uh, a lot of times I wouldn't get to bed until 10, 11, 12 at night. And wow. get up and do it again. That's incredible. So there was an element of burnout, I think, for me as a, mm -hmm. a young monk and a young priest monk, and uh, and there wasn't really any vacation from that. That was uh, that's what you did from day to day, and uh, uh, but and but I loved monastic life. Um, I was very, I you know, uh, I put my up until the very end, so to speak. Uh, I took my uh, my. Um, my duties and my responsibilities very seriously, mm. and including my responsibilities. I and I felt the responsibility I had to other people, uh, because when you're a priest, you are, you know, there's a saying that uh, uh, a priest is not his own person. So you live your life uh, in the context of the monastery. You live a life of obedience. So you don't do your own will. You you are obedient to your spiritual 
superior to your abbot, to your elders, you know. Uh, and then uh, you are obedient towards other people. So as a priest, you live to serve other people, you know, pastorally and otherwise, you know, but mostly pastorally, um, which is just means spiritually and, um, you know, whatever the other person's needs are. Um, I'm just need to know, yeah. during this time as a, a priest and a monk in this monastery, were you still thinking about Islam? Were you still reading, reading okay. or, uh, uh, or were you completely detached from all that? Uh, I was in the background um, because simply because, you know, it was my own personal interest. And also I was trying to make sense still of what was going on, you know, in the world, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it was it was always sort of in the background. Uh, right. And of course, I just didn't have time a lot of. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> you know, I was so, so busy doing. Third of your life in church, and doing, you didn't really yeah. have a chance to do anything else. Yeah. So, um, but I love so I loved monastic life. Uh, but you know, I, I couldn't. You know, I, I was also paying attention to what was going on in the Orthodox Church, in a larger scale. Um, we, where I was in orthodoxy, uh, we had a very strict understanding of the church. So there was this idea that uh, the body of Christ is one and the church is one. And, um, and so we believed that the church in Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, it, when the schism in 1054 happened, they cut themselves off from the body of Christ. So, so there was this belief, it was, it was a more, it was a stricter understanding of ecclesiology that the Roman Catholic church had no grace, had no sacraments at all. The Pope's not a Christian, the Catholics. Yeah. There's a saying that the Pope is a, uh, the, an Orthodox peasant is higher than the Pope or something like that. But that's, but that's a, that's a, that's, you know, that's a, that's a strict understanding of it. Not all Orthodoxy believes that. Mm. And, um, so, but we did, and uh, and I, you know, over time adopted this ecclesiology at the monastery. Uh, but then, you know, I started to really question that, especially with uh, Pope Benedict's reforms and right. the, bringing back the Latin Mass. And I could see in the Roman Catholic Church, you know, all these um, younger people, you know, coming to the church and this, this flourishing of the traditional liturgy and it really seemed to me that uh you know th- there was something going on there and uh, but so essentially i felt that you know i where i was in orthodoxy was becoming increasingly insular uh and mm-hmm. uh, more increasingly nationalistic because it was russian orthodox and uh-huh. And in 2016, the, the Orthodox tried to hold a council, which they call the Great and Holy Council of Crete. And since the Seventh Ecumenical Council in uh, I think the 8th century, century. There, there, you know, the Orthodox had never, you know, since the uh, separation between East and West, the Orthodoxy, the Orthodox hadn't held an ecumenical council um, at all. And this, in 2016, this Council of Crete was going to be the, the first ecumenical council that they've mm-hmm. held since the schism. Um, 
And I was really interested to see if they would be able to pull it off because, you know, a lot of the churches have just sort of been fractured and Mm. divided against each other. Uh, And sure enough, the, the council fell apart and uh, everything that's happened in orthodoxy since then, I think has been a, um, you know, direct result of this, uh, the failure of this council. So now you have the, the, the Russian Orthodox uh, out of communion with the, the Greek Orthodox and the ecumenical patriarchy. And I saw all this sort of happening in real time. And I saw the writing on the wall for me that, you know, Orthodoxy was going to fracture and splinter, uh, which in fact it did. Um, and it is doing now. And mm. I mean, just look at, you know, now uh, there's yeah, all maybe, maybe Ukraine, people. yeah, because the Ukraine, yeah, Ukraine split, uh, the um, Russian from everyone Russian else. Invasion, like, it's really yeah. sad to watch. Yeah. Um, so on my mind, I felt, you know, there needs to be this uh, unifying aspect of the faith. And, and in the first millennia of Christianity, it was, uh, you know, Rome was the, was the unifier that held everything together. Mm. Uh, so this was uh, this was the genesis of my uh, moving back into Rome, and and so underneath, you know, I think there was some criticism uh, in you know online about you know and, and questioning. It's like, well, you know, Father Hilarion Hagee, he, you know, he went he was Catholic and then he became Orthodox and then he went to Catholic and now he's you know Muslim. Like, what's next? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but for me, you know, watching you know, looking at things on the ground, you know, my move back to Catholicism was a search or a real yearning for yeah. a sense of oneness, you know, and in, in, in Islam, it's like the, the, the Tawhid and um, there is this. It's the ultimate endpoint of your journey, exactly. which is towards oneness and truth and Tawhid right. uh, through this long winding journey in, in before. Yeah, it makes mm-hmm. sense. So, so that was always sort of underlining my, you know, if you go back to uh, the, the 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 term for a monk, mm. monikos in Greek, you know, you're searching for the one to be alone with yeah. God. So you know, this, this ahad, as you say, topic. yeah, ahad. right. Mm. Uh, so that was always my motivating uh, factor, and I and I I increasingly see in Christianity this is further and further um, division. And even within Catholicism, I think, and and even even within the traditional Catholic movement, um, I just see further and further like sort of schisming and division, and it's really it's really sad to to watch. Mm. Um, and it's not to say that you know Muslims and Islam, well, you know, there's there are divisions within Islam, of course, and and I think anywhere where people are involved, there's human mm. nature. Um, you're always going to have that, but I don't see it to the same extent in Islam mm, uh, that mm. I've seen in Christianity. Where, where to even you know even from moving from orthodoxy to Catholicism or vice versa, um, you get the most vitriolic um, mm. denunciations of the other. I think you know. I mean, there, there, there's no hierarchy. There's no institutional hierarchy in Islam, obviously, in Sunni Islam. So there, there's no priesthood. There are no intermediaries. Uh, it, it's quite egalitarian in that sense that everyone, uh, at least in theory, is, is on the same footing. So yeah. the potential for schism 
institutional schism is not so much there. Uh, uh, but even theologically, there is overwhelmingly a mainstream normative Sunni tradition mm -hmm. globally, uh, which is like, what, 90% of Muslims on the planet. Right. Um, and that's quite different from Christendom, which is split left, right and centre all over the place in, mm -hmm. in ways you course describing so did you enter into you you were received into the cat did you have to be reordained when you became a catholic priest or, or no 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 so yeah so um entering into the catholic church uh they recognized my priesthood right and um i essentially um re-entered the church through confession essentially the wow. catholic church and uh, as a monk you know, I, I wanted to continue my monastic life or, or yeah, I didn't feel I was leaving monastic life. It was just a, a different understanding of the ecclesiology, mm -hmm. but as an Orthodox priest monk, um, the question was where, you know, where would I go to mm -hmm. live out my monastic life? Uh, and, uh, there, there are plenty of, uh, you know, Benedictine monasteries and Roman Catholic monasteries, mm -hmm. Uh, but there aren't very many Eastern Catholic monasteries. Mm. Um, uh, That's confusing because Eastern Catholic can look a bit orthodox. Eastern uh, Catholics, it's yes. Not, uh, it's in communion with Rome. And so there's a quite, quite slight uh, visual confusion to people mm -hmm. who don't understand. Right. Yeah. So Eastern Catholics, the ideal is Eastern Catholics um, are exactly like Orthodox in every respect. So liturgically, spiritually, theologically. Um, except for the ecclesiology where Eastern Catholics are in union with, with right. Rome and, uh, whereas Orthodox are not, right. but in every other aspect, they're essentially, uh, the same. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, so pictures of me as, uh, Orthodox and pictures of me as Eastern Catholic, I look essentially the same. <laughs> right. So there's, yeah, so there was some confusion on online <laughs> there, there is there is a lot of confusion it doesn't matter I, I have tried to dissipate it by explaining but it doesn't have much effect because the visual imagery is so powerful in in mm -hmm. suggesting contrary apparently to what we were saying but of course now you've explained it uh, so yeah. yes um yeah uh so so you're a catholic priest uh in communion with the pope in rome mm -hmm. uh you cross the tiber so to speak and um what happened then in your interest in, in Islam? That continued in the background, or did that take a different form uh, as you move forward? Um, that continued in the background, mm. uh, and it didn't really... I, I think, the, you know, the transformative moment for me, really, was 2019. Uh, a, a good friend of mine who was Russian Orthodox converted... This is not my best friend, but another friend of mine. Oh, another one, right. Yeah, he, he, uh, he was very vocally... Um, he had a blog. Uh, he was very online. Um, he was a very vocal supporter of uh, Russian Orthodoxy. Right. And then seemingly out of the blue, he converted to Islam. Wow. <laughs> and for me, uh, I, I found that, you know, I was intrigued that he would do that. And I had a lot of questions. A lot of people were really, um, a lot of Orthodox were really um, harsh with him, I think. Mm. Um you know, saying, you know, you're an apostate, you, know, you denied Christ, <laughs> these things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I felt that uh, possibly my reaction should be that, <laughs> but it wasn't. I was more intrigued. I wanted to talk to him and really learn his reasons and, and find out, 
you know, what he had to say himself as to how he would move from orthodoxy to Islam. Um, so 2019, at the same time, I was encouraged to apply uh, to, um, uh, uh, for a master, to a master's program uh, at uh, Marquette University in theology. So then I got in, so I was, uh, I started, um, I started my master's program at Marquette University in theology in 2019 as well. And at the same time, I was still um, searching for solid uh, monastic life in Eastern Catholicism. Um, but, you know, at the end of in the summer of 2019, I found myself living in, in Milwaukee. And uh, so I entered the uh, Marquette theology program. And not only was my friend's conversion in the back of my mind at the time, but now all of a sudden I found myself at in a university setting with a university library. And it had uh, a massive section in their library, um, just books on Islam, uh, wow. Sufism and whatnot. So all of a sudden I had all these uh, resources at hand, mm. whereas previously I had um, whatever was online, which well, I think there's a lot, there's a lot more online now than there, than there was. Yeah. 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 Indeed. indeed. But you, so, you gotta know, you gotta know how to find it. Cause there's a lot of good stuff online. There's a lot of evil stuff as well. Yeah. Know really what's in the, in the tin to be careful that mm -hmm. one's not in, eating poison. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It takes some discernment and, yes um yeah so i had uh yeah i had all, the, all these resources all of a sudden uh and then and then the lockdown happened <laughs> oh, <laughs> which i yeah. also write about in my blog and somehow that that time in milwaukee and that time during the lockdown hmm. was very transformative i found myself um hmm. living outside of the monastic setting um, and all of a sudden the churches are all closed <laughs> and mm. all I had was my apartment and my books. And, sure. uh, I had a little prayer corner and, uh, I was really, you know, I was, I was reading more and more about Islam and traditional Islam, um, mm. as well as, you know, the Sufism aspects of Islam. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that the, the, this, the sense of sort of living in, the spiritual desert in a sense, you know, mm. uh, right. cause not yeah. even the churches are, are open and you're sort of on your own. Uh, a lot of people I think felt that way at the time. And I certainly felt that way. Uh, almost a sort of a, an abandonment to be honest from, mm. from, on, from the, you know, on, on behalf of the church, which is difficult to say, um, uh, because mm. I felt that, you know, at the time of the lockdown, uh, when people most needed that spiritual sustenance and that, um, and most needed the church, a lot of times, uh, you know, it just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were, there were, you know, masses being streamed online, like the Catholic mass and whatnot, but it's not the same as having a priest. And I think, uh, I think for Christians, uh, especially Catholic and Orthodox Christians, uh, access to the sacraments is really important. Yeah. Uh, so to have no longer that access to the sacraments mm -hmm. uh, was um, very detrimental. And me as a priest, you know, I could sort of uh, say the divine liturgy on my own 
uh, but uh, yeah, but but um, uh, but it, so anyway, but it was during that time and during the lockdown, during my time studying at Marquette University, that um, not only did I have all these resources, um, but I felt a stronger and stronger pull towards Islam, Islam, and um, uh, both spiritually and intellectually. I think, mm -hmm. uh, and on top of that, I had um, you know. I, I had friends that were Muslim that we would have conversations. So these are, these, are, a, these are fellow students at the university who are Muslim? Uh, students at the university and just people I knew in Milwaukee. Right. right. Um, so, so I had that human interaction. Right. And, uh, and so often, you know, at uh, Marquette university, I would go and I would pray the hours, which is, um, um, Similar to, you know, Salat, we did prayers interspersed throughout the day. The hours, you know, you, you pray the morning prayers, like matins, and then the small hours, like throughout the day, and vespers in the evening. And I would pray them in the, uh, there's a small chapel at the student union at Marquette University. And oftentimes, almost always, I'd be the only person in the chapel uh, praying Uh but right next to the chapel, they had uh, a Muslim a Muslim prayer room uh, for the Muslim students, and I, I would notice it would it would often be filled. <laughs> and there was something at that that time I just felt drawn, like I wanted to go in and, and pray with them, um, but I knew that I couldn't. So <laughs> at the time. You, you, you never actually went in there and prayed with them. No, either. no. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Um, so that that period from from 2000 2019 until until last year mm. um, 2002 i graduated with my masters there um what, what were you what so what was your masters in what was uh, theology so i studied mostly historical theology what what what, what aspect of historical because i'm just curious i'm interested in theology uh well <laughs> my my thesis was on the council of liturgical development or liturgical um, reforms of the Council of Trent oh, and yeah. how that essentially led to Vatican II, uh, actually. Well, that was um, in the early 16th century, the Council of Trent, yeah. obviously, and uh, it helped to, uh, well, we'll go into that, but yes, I understand what you've just said. Yeah, right. So um, uh, there's a there are a couple of professors at Marquette University that uh, I really admired um, and uh, Particularly, um, yeah, yeah uh, there, uh, Dr. Marcus Plested, he wrote a book called um, uh, Orthodox Readings of Aquinas. And he has done a lot of really excellent work to try to bring together or, or, or to at least um, have a, a really good conversation between the Orthodox East and the Catholic West. Mm. Uh, on a, on a really meaty and solid theological level. Wow. Uh, so I really loved his work and he was essentially the whole reason I, I went to, to study at Marquette. And again, it was the sense of like trying to um, um, work towards, you know, reconciliation yeah. in That's the a Christian tradition. Constant thing with you, the oneness and right. unity and reconciliation. This is a theme in, in your pilgrimage uh, mm -hmm. throughout your spiritual life I've noticed. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so once I had graduated from Marquette, I, um, my, 
my goal was to get back into monastic life mm. after my sojourn in Milwaukee. And it was a question of, there was still a question of where to go. Uh, during, during the lockdown, we had started a, um, some like-minded friends. Uh, uh, we had this idea of trying to form uh, a, a more traditional uh, monastery in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, someone had donated land and um, we'd done some initial fundraising towards this end. Um, uh, and while there were a lot of um, people interested in this project, uh, mostly lay people, uh, it was difficult finding um, ecclesiastical support for it. Mm. Um, so yeah, we'd, we'd gone from, uh, you know, we sought out different bishops who thought might be um, interested. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a difficult time trying to get the groundwork going. Because I, I, I feel, uh, you know, there's a need for a more traditional uh, Eastern Catholic monasticism uh, that largely didn't exist. There's just not a lot of uh, Eastern Catholic mm-hmm. monastic options, as opposed to Orthodoxy. There's there's uh, there's plenty of Orthodox monasteries. Uh, for example, you know Romania uh, is a country roughly the size of Pennsylvania, and they have mm-hmm. just in Romania they have a thousand monasteries. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just in some part of small part of Orthodoxy. So yeah, so uh, I, we just found like the, uh, a need for a number of people f- felt there was this need for a traditional Eastern Catholic monastery, which we tried to form. And yes, it, it just never sort of got off the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that perhaps that was providential because while I was um, working on this, you know, still internally, I was, I still felt this draw towards Islam, but it never really, really took hold completely until last year, 2020, uh, uh, 20, uh, 22, 23, so roughly. What happened, what happened last year? To suddenly. Um, it's holiday. hard to say. <laughs> it, it seems like everything just sort of, at least for me, uh, came together. All these, mm. you know, all the, not just my inner spiritual life, but everything that I had been reading over the years, um, all these connections. And I think finding people like, you know, Abdul Hakim Murad, for example, and Hamza Youssef and uh, these, these people that I didn't know existed until last year, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. Um, and I think your blog also, um, I lift, I list a number of sources on, on my own blog. I'll, I'll link to it in the description yeah. below so people can see uh, uh, this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think discovering, all these people that all of a sudden they seem to tie they, they, you know, everything, all these sort of elements mm. in my life and my academic interests and my intellectual interests and my spiritual interests, you know, all of a sudden seem to be tied together. Yeah. Um, also, I mentioned in my bo- blog, uh, there's a priest, uh, Louis Massignon. He was a, a Russian or no, sorry. He was a Roman Catholic priest who, um, is a great scholar of Islam. Um, he, he, in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, um, I, I read 
uh, a lot of his works at Marquette, but uh, yeah, everything just sort of was tying together. And on top of that, my, my best friend also converting mm. to Islam himself. So at this point I was uh, staying in a monastery out in California um, uh, as a sort of, uh, I went there as a sort of open-ended visit um, and the abbot invited me there. Um, uh, it's a wonderful community. I, I love the abbot there. He's, we still have a, a good relationship. Um, he's a wonderful man. And it's a, it's a Ukrainian Catholic monastery. Um, uh, but the abbot there and the, and the bishop of the monastery, um, just a, uh, Bishop Benedict actually is his name. Uh, just wonderful, wonderful people. Um, so I, I, I had no problem with the monastery itself. Mm. And, uh, and I served at the monastery uh, as a priest. Um, and, but then internally I was feeling this draw to Islam. I felt that I had reached this conclusion and that, you know, I, I needed. What were you drawn to? Uh, but was it as a spiritual longing for the truths of Islam, the Taoist? Yes. Uh, and mm -hmm. so I don't know if it was in your mouth, but I'm just trying to focus. Right, this. right, right. Um, yeah, I, I felt that you know, I felt that a lot of um, the issues that I was seeing in Christianity, um, and a lot of things that I wished to see in Christianity was already built into Islam itself. <laughs> so the sense of oneness, the sense of, uh, of unity and the oneness of God, you know, uh, which, which permeates through the tradition itself and uh, uh, the, the depth of the spiritual life in sort of the Sufi traditions mm -hmm. uh, and the depth of the intellectual tradition. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think just listening to, um, you know, Tim Winter, Abdul Hakim Murad, uh, listening to his talks, uh, it was, it, yeah, it, I just felt, you know, he was saying things that I, you know, agreed with and just, just felt naturally. And mm. he was sort of putting it into words in a way. And I think yeah. he's really good at tying, you know, the mm. tradition, you know, sort of presenting traditional Islam within a, a Western context, I think, you know. Yeah. And so uh, Hamza Yusuf as well does the same. Yeah, him as well. Yeah. So, Yes, it just sort of all came together for me. So, you know, at the time, you know, I was in this open-ended visit in this monastery in California. Mm. Um, and I I felt that if I, I felt that I was in a position where I had the freedom if I wanted to, to, you know, become Muslim and go down this route where I wasn't tied into, I didn't have actually um, a lot of obligations mm. um, outside of, you know, we'd been working on this project and went on. So, um, were you, okay, so interrupt, but were you actually in touch with any Muslims? Uh, I mean, I, I don't mean online, watching. Yes, yes, yes. I meant mm -hmm. in reality, were you actually in, in reality Muslims at this time? When not, you were uh, not in the monastery, uh, cause the mm. monastery was out in the mountains. We we're pretty remote, yeah. but I did, I was in touch with a number of, um, uh, imams and, right. um, I pretty quickly, you're getting, you're getting input from actual. Yeah. Music. I had a lot of, so, so yes, it wasn't just me 
watching YouTube videos. I was wondering, just watching YouTube yeah. videos in winter. That's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I was have, I was in a mm. engaged in conversation with oh. actual, um, right, with actual Muslims that, like, yeah, uh, imams, the, example, people that could answer questions and knew the tradition and, and whatnot. So, Good. which was very helpful. Yeah. So yeah, so for me, um, I I felt that being in the monastery. I needed to remove myself from that environment, uh, which it wasn't a bad environment. I just needed to take some time away and, and not, you know, serve because I was serving daily in the church, divine liturgy and all the, the church services. And I was there pastorally uh, for people. You're hearing confessions, presumably. Hearing confessions, yes. Priest, you would, yeah. Giving and again, and again I, I took all that very seriously. I wasn't uh, mm -hmm. I, I didn't want there to be a sense that I was being um, um, duplicitous or mm, you know, mm, doing mm. something publicly and then being something else privately. Mm. Um, because for you know my entire life, my entire priestly ministry, um, I, I took it very seriously. I, I, I was sincere. Um, and I think that uh, my pull to Islam, which only came to fruition in the past year, like full full bloom in a sense. Mm. Um, it wasn't as if I, I mentioned in my blog, I had said something like you, um, one couldn't be a priest publicly and a, a Muslim privately. And I know uh, I know there's, you know, there's the term, you know, submarine. Muslims. Yeah, so I think by Tim Winter himself. Tim no, Winter had, yeah. had a term. So what, for the people, what, what does yeah. submarine mean in this context? In this context, people who are secretly Muslim, essentially. Right. But, but so, not, not because they're, they're, they're spies or anything. It's because they have yeah. responsibilities <laughs> and so right. make it difficult for them to come. For whatever reason. Whatever reason, yeah. Yeah, for whatever reason they, they believe they, they, they are Muslim internally, but for whatever reason externally they can't openly convert um, to Islam. Uh, so, you know, that was presented as an option to me. Uh, I said, you know, a couple of people said like, well, you can, you know, there are such a thing as, you know, you could privately be this, but I, I felt like, you know, I, I, I felt in a certain level and I'm not judging other people who are in this position. Because if you're saying the Nicene Creed, like you do as a priest, like people do in a Catholic church on a Sunday mass, the mm -hmm. Nicene Creed says, you know, Jesus is right. God. You know, God, right. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. This is Jesus. And if you're a Muslim, you can't really say that unless yeah. you've got a gun to your head and you, you know, uh, you're not supposed right. to say it because it is basically taking you out of the faith. So it's hard mm -hmm. to see how that can be reconciled <laughs> in a Roman Catholic context. In other denominations where you can make up your theology. I suppose it might be all right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's quite common in a lot of places. Actually. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I I specifically did not want to be sort of mm. duplicitous, you know. Um, so as soon as I could, I I came back home to Pittsburgh, where I am now, and uh, and I I have uh, you know family members who. My father, specifically, um, he's in poor health. Um, oh, yeah. He's, yeah, so I, I, in a certain sense, I, I did want to come back and be here. Uh, he had a heart attack recently, so um, I, I've been trying to. I haven't even told him yet because I don't want to stress 
him out, but um, yeah, it's difficult. It's the same problem yeah, with my father as yeah. well. Um, anyway, so but uh, so I came back home and I, I but as soon as I you know, the opportunity was available, I, I I removed myself from public ministry and came back home and um, just wanted to be just wanted some time not to be public just. So, so, yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, just, just if I would just yeah. break this down a little bit. So you, you left the monastery in California as mm -hmm. a, you were a Catholic priest and a monk at this monastery in California in the Western USA. You went back home to Pittsburgh um, mm. to, to partly for very commendable reasons to do with your father, who I, I do mm. hope uh, gets better and, uh, and is comfortable. But and you also very good reasons because you simply wanted the space and the right. environment where you could follow through to your next stage but did you write a letter did you write a letter to your bishop or did you write to the abbot and say sorry i'm leaving i'm going to become a muslim i mean <laughs> how did it, i mean in terms of the practical details how, how does one yeah. stop being a priest and a monk in a monastery and become how does one leave uh, let alone how does one become a muslim the, the becoming a muslim bit i get i know yeah. i know what to do i've done it but the leaving the priesthood bit i don't get how does one do that I don't know. <laughs> that was the that was the part that I I didn't I couldn't really figure out because I I knew on some level, you know, I was fairly well known in, in the in the monastery and in, as a priest uh, because partly because I made myself available to people mm -hmm. uh, uh, in a way. I, I, f I found there was a lot of there were a lot of people in the Catholic Church um, who for whatever reason, uh, felt like they, they couldn't connect with their, their priest or there wasn't a traditional priest near them or, or whatnot. So I, I often made myself available to people uh, because that was that was my job, you know, as a priest, people who had questions, pastoral, mm. whatever. Uh, so, so I was fairly well known just from that, I think. And I felt, you know, to, I've, I felt a deep responsibility towards mm. these people and I didn't want to, um, the you know, people in the church, uh, as I said before, a priest is not his own, is his own. Yeah. So I, I, I felt there was this deep responsibility I had for others, yeah. uh, which was the most difficult thing for me because I felt, you know, uh, how would I, leave the monastery and in a way that would cause the least amount of scandal I felt. <laughs> so, and I felt, you know, going back home, um, stay, you know, with the idea of staying with my family. And this is what I told my abbot. And I feel looking back, I think, you know, he's been very wonderful. Does he know um, then? Does he know that yeah, he knows now? Yeah. As soon as, as soon as everything sort of broke, I immediately contacted him and, told him the whole situation and he's what, what did you tell him? i mean you literally said hello i am now a muslim i'm I well <laughs> i mean um I, yeah i explained to him this is something that you know it's been in the back of my mind for a long time and all of you know and i've reached this conclusion and right um there, it was <clears throat> yeah uh, yeah it's, it's it's difficult i i looking back now i wish i would have said something while i was there um mm -hmm. you know, it's difficult and, so what did he say? I mean, how does an abbot of a monastery um, respond he, to his priest? Uh, he's, a, um, he's a very pastoral man himself. Mm. Uh, so he, he, uh, he 
didn't fully understand it, but he was very supportive. Right. Abbot Damien is his name. Um, and so he, uh, he wasn't, he didn't say horrible things, nasty things. Oh, no, 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 no. Like, and in, so, fact, in fact, I think the, the response overwhelmingly, even from Christians, has been uh, even if they don't understand my mm. reasonings or, you know, or they don't agree with it, mm. has been supportive. It's only been a, a, you know, a minority that have been um, vitriolic, I suppose, uh, uh, regarding my my conversion, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, my uh, my abbot in California, he, he's just a he, he's very supportive. But I felt, you know, it would be it would be very awkward to have this conversation while I was there, and also I felt um, I wanted to remove myself from ministry. Um, to allow, yeah, to give, to have more space internally, I think, um, and just generally to, before I made this, this final decision to no, I, somehow go public. Yeah, um, no, that makes sense. It's a process, yeah. isn't it, rather than simply a question of you know, sending off an email or something. It, it takes right. time to adjust and, you know, answer that. And, and I just didn't figure, I had to figure out, you know, because there were still a lot of people pinning um, the sort of hopes on, <laughs> on me, you know, starting this, this, this monastery perhaps, or I was yeah. offered uh, all these different positions. I can go here or there, you know, I was offered a, um, a parish in Hawaii. Uh, mm. I could have gone to Alaska. There was okay. land in North Carolina um, to, to start a monastery. If one. So it's not as if I didn't have any options when mm -hmm. I left and things mm -hmm. were going quite well, actually. Yeah. Um, but so internally, you gave, you gave up a lot, clearly, uh, in terms of your Christian past to embrace Islam and, and yeah, another future for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could have lived quite comfortably and, and, and everything that I've been for years working towards was finally sort of coming together, mm. <laughs> actually. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I, yeah, it's not as if things, it's not as if things weren't going well and I decided like, Oh, this isn't working out. I'm going to become yeah. Muslim yeah. or something. But uh, no, uh, things were going quite well. Um, so that was the difficult aspect. So even being in, in Pittsburgh, um, spending time with my family here, um, I, you know, there was, there, there was this, still this question hanging over me. It's like, well, what am I going to do next? Mm. And uh, from, from, from you know, my, the abbot and fellow Christians. Uh, so I had hoped if I, if I could have sort of faked my death and just like slipped away into obscurity, I would have been quite happy um, because I, I felt, you know, I wanted to, um, yeah, I just never really quite figured out how to go about um, telling everybody <laughs> that yeah. I had become I mean, If I say so, you said this yourself, so I'm not in any way saying something inappropriate. You said yourself you are more shy, more introverted kind yes. of person. And mm -hmm. so the last thing you're going to want to do is go around shaking everyone's hand and telling people, knocking on their doors. It's not kind of – I mean, someone who's very extrovert would have a problem with that, let alone mm -hmm. someone who is more more retiring, as you say. Um, yeah. So that would be a real – personal challenge to communicate your new reality to, um, but also can i just cover just for, for the record um when did you say your shahada <laughs> uh i kind of i sort of privately said it to myself i suppose uh in july and, july last year mm -hmm. uh but i 
this was this was much more of a private thing at the time. In your heart, before God, you were a Muslim. Right. And but when did you perhaps uh, did you did you say so, in front of an imam in a mosque or something? Uh, I did actually. Mm. Uh, that's what, that's what I, I did. well, I was visiting Pittsburgh at the time, and I, mm. I met with the imam and right. at the time. So I felt back then. So, but I, I still wasn't public with things. Um, when when was that with the imam in the more? This was in July. In Ju- I was in July as well of last year. Yeah, and so I, I, yeah, I, I had come. Yeah, I had I had things worked out by then. I think, and it was just a matter of how I would um, leave and come back to Pittsburgh. And again, to, to in a way that would create the least amount of. Uh, scandal and because i didn't want to i didn't want to i think you know i know my own reasons for converting to islam and um but i think for for a lot of people um i I just felt even though i felt this was the correct thing to do they just uh wouldn't understand no you know they just wouldn't understand so i didn't want to i didn't i just didn't want to scandalize a lot of people so no, that, that giving you a pastoral yeah. uh compassionate mm-hmm. nature is understandable you don't want yeah. to upset people you don't want to offend people uh but so i can understand your, your your reasons for thinking that way makes sense so being in pittsburgh um uh i i had hoped to sort of slip away and be forgotten but i realized that that wasn't going to happen so when did, um, when, when did that stop happening? Because it hit it hit the global headlines. Mm-hmm. Many, Al Jazeera had a piece on you, right. um, and you were the number one uh, name being uh, trending on Google mm-hmm. uh, at the world in the world at that time. How on earth did people find out? Because you said you had a publicly, sorry, privately, your mm-hmm. heart and to the Imam back in July. But yeah. when, when did the news break? Was it was it last month? Wasn't it in February or? Uh, yeah, it was the end of February. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I came. Yeah. I have been really happy <laughs> uh, spending time in yeah. Pittsburgh. I had just been, I've just been working. Uh, I've been working, you know, and uh, just sort of living my life in a sense. I, I'm very closely connected with the uh, Muslim community here. Good. And I just felt, you know, being here uh, and, and sort of being out of the, uh, the public eye in a sense, um i've been you know the happiest as i've as i've ever been uh, it's been really wonderful and i think that but at the same time yeah this sort of a question of uh uh sort of sort of damocles in a sense of hanging over my head of having to figure out some way to say with the least amount of um stress and for everybody that I'd become Muslim, like, how would I do that? And that was really difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I reached a a point where, um, you know, I lost a lot of sleep over this, too. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just the stress of how would I tell people this? How would I tell my abbot? What's the best way to go about it, I suppose? Uh, But at some point, I just had a moment of, uh, I don't know, inspiration, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I just felt that I was at a really wonderful place, um, personally and spiritually. And, uh, I, I had posted the Shahada on Facebook, (laughs) Uh (laughs) which I thought, you know, I, I, I did it as sort of a, uh, I don't know. I I thought maybe people would 
would think it was a joke, but I, I, I thought, why not? <laughs> so I, I thought, you know, I'm in a good place. Just sort of pull the trigger, I guess, you know, <laughs> um, and see the gun go. So immediately, immediately, yeah. What yeah I thought it. I thought about it later. I was like, um, you know, I took it down later because it got some negative reactions. I thought maybe that's not, you know, the best idea. But uh, some people picked up on it immediately, and just mm -hmm. things blew right. up from there. Right. And uh, um, so yeah, I. I uh, uh, there was a there was a Catholic blogger who I'm friends with who has a, uh, a a YouTube channel. He did a story on the fact that I converted to Islam apparently, and he even uh, linked my uh, private blog, which I have no idea how he found. I sent it to somebody; they must have sent it to him. But uh, initially, my blog was meant to be, um, you know, if if I my close friends and family um, mm. when I tell them that I've converted to Islam, instead of explaining everything over and over to them, I would just send them to this, this blog yeah, and they could just read it for themselves. Which I'll put in, the, so, I'll put in the description below, because it's definitely worth, you've got a number of uh, several essays recently written about your, the process leading up to your conversion, although not beyond that. So this is the first time we're hearing about your, yeah. your conversion and afterwards. Yeah. So, um, so he read the blog and, you know, on his, uh, YouTube video on his channel mm. and it just blew up from there. And, uh, in just a matter of, you know, 24, 48 hours, it was this huge story. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm kind of glad that, you know, I was under a lot of stress trying to figure out, um, mm -hmm. what to do or how to go about this and what the best way to do it. And, and, and this, this sort of momentary um, thought, like just pull the trigger and just do, <laughs> do it, which is, which is what I was, that was, was the words in my head that I, you know, when I posted the Shahada um, and then it almost immediately took it down. But, um, but yeah, so within 48 hours, it was this massive story and uh it was quite overwhelming for me and I was, I was getting uh, mm -hmm. phone calls and my phone was ringing off the hook and I was getting messages and texts. Uh, and I totally removed myself from social media. And that is the case now, isn't it? You're not actually on. It is. I'm not on social media now. Any, any, there are Facebook accounts with your name on it. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I tweeted me earlier saying, Oh, th th this, uh, you know, this Facebook, uh, with father Hilarion, he goes, is that him? And I, Mm -hmm. It's not you. So no one <laughs> social media is it actually you apart from this one blog, which is linked to in the description right. below. All right. That's the only thing. So so anybody you see with my name on social media, that's not me. <laughs> and it actually caused some problems, actually, because uh, some of these accounts were saying or posting pictures of uh, priests that I know that are Russian Orthodox saying like, oh, inshallah, my priest's uh, friend is converting to Islam. And then he would get all these like uh, messages, which right. is not fair. You know, no, no, I mean, no, no. it's essentially a harassment, actually. Yeah, I, yeah. I think so. I part of my reasoning. So I, I, I was getting all this attention, and as a sort of introvert, introverted person, I, I um, mm. yeah, just shut everything off. I, I, I responded to individual messages of people that I knew and explained things to them, but I, I didn't look at any anything that was being said about me online or <laughs> both the positive and the negative uh 
Uh, I didn't watch any of the videos or read any of the news stories or anything. And uh, it was just, it was just unbelievable. The exposure that, that mm. the whole story got. Yeah, no, but, but, was, but, why do you, I mean, uh, I've got my own theories, not that it matters what I think, but why do you think there's been such a global interest? What, what's it blew up basically in 24 yeah. hours, you were Mr. Anonymous, you were happily living your life in Pittsburgh, <laughs> and then 24 hours, you know, Al Jazeera had a news piece on you, and yeah. the whole world was the Catholic Church was rocked. Why? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm a pretty you know, unassuming person, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I think, well, some of the, uh, some of the story, you know, some, some of it was maybe a little bit misplaced. Uh, cause a lot of the, a lot of the stories would say like a top priest converts to Islam, you know, and I'm not really a top priest in any sense, <laughs> you know, I'm just a, you know, I was just sort of living in a monastery, but, uh, but I think, um, yeah, it's hard to say, uh, but a lot of people, you know, I've heard and I, I've spoken I, I, a lot of the feedback, you know, just recently I started to venture out and to read some of these things that people have been writing about really? my conversion. Yeah. And it's actually been very uh, encouraging. Really? Um, and that's, that's, yeah, I would get, I would hear from people in you know, Morocco and uh, Indonesia, just all over the world. Mm -hmm. who would read my blog and I mean, there's not a lot written on it and it's not finished. And, and frankly, I wrote it as, um, as um, on a, on a very basic level because I didn't, I didn't know what my readership would be. I didn't know who, who was reading it. So I, I wrote it. Like they're basically in four minute read snippets, a very um, generic. Um, so, uh, so yeah, but they, but, Somehow, um, you know, I would hear from Muslims um, from all over who would say things that you know they find hope in my in my writing, and they found inspiration, and this is a, a wonderful thing for Islam, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, yeah, I didn't, I, I had no idea that mm. there would be interest. <laughs> in, 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 in my situation, let alone people finding inspiration. And in it. so it's been, um, uh, it's been quite amazing. It's been really surreal for me, I think, just <laughs> watching this play out uh, because I, you know, I've just been working here uh, just temporarily um, working odd jobs. Uh, um, I'm applying, um, I, I'm going to continue my education. Uh, uh I'm looking at different options right now, but for the time being, you know, as a monk, you don't have any money or um, you don't own anything. So coming back to Pittsburgh, I sort of started from zero. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't have anything. So the, the Muslim communities helped me out quite a bit here, um, but I'm also just working. So I was, um, I was actually, you know, uh, just doing odd jobs when my friend called me, uh, it was a two or three weeks ago and told me, and I wasn't paying attention to anything on online or in the news or anything. I sort of blocked it all out. And, and he told me like, you know, you're the number one Google trending search in, in the Arab world. <laughs> and it was just so bizarre. And, and I'm just sort of like 
you know, mopping the floor <laughs> at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah. So uh, it's been encouraging now, finally sort of, uh, uh, looking at all the responses and reading these responses and, um, and, you know, if I, if I wanted to be, you know, private and sort of forgotten by the world, I guess that's just not how it's going to be, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But, and, and I, and that's just, you know, whatever, you know, a law, you know, whatever is providentially uh, the situation. And uh, well, I, I feel that I can't run from, I can't run from it, you know, so. Well, I do wish you, you well. And there, there are a lot of good people out there in the Muslim yeah. world who will uh who are and will continue to offer you their support and their help so I, I don't fear for your your future at all uh there are some pitfalls of course but i think you're more than mature and intelligent enough to see them coming and to yeah. uh, avoid falling into them but um but no i, I do wish you well um as we draw perhaps to a close can i just give you some rapid fire questions if i may sure, yes, yes. Uh, points of information and a few other questions why did you choose Saeed Abdul Latif for your Muslim name? Uh, I didn't actually. <laughs> uh, somebody, somebody, um, somebody chose it for me. A, a close friend of mine had been speaking with uh, just theological issues in Islam, right. um, but I hadn't. I wasn't given a Muslim name initially, and I felt you know, as a sort of my monastic background. I do everything by just obedience. So I felt like it had to be given to me at some point. And, uh, and so my friend asked me what my Muslim name was. And I said, well, I don't really have one. And he said, I'm going to give you one. <laughs> and, and he, he chose, uh, Abdul Latif actually, which means servant of the all gentle. Yeah. All the and, uh, yeah, and I did, I did choose Saeed at the beginning because my monastic name is Hilarion. Mm -hmm. In uh, original, original, ancient Greek, uh, hilarion uh, means cheerful. So, would that being slightly ridiculous? Is that where we get the word hilarious from? Cheerful, hilarious. Uh, yeah, it has the same root. It's mm -hmm. the same root etymology, right? Oh, that's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. So, Saeed Abdul Latif is cheerful servant of the all gentle. I thought wow. that was a really nice. So, so and I hadn't been using it, uh, but when this whole news story about my conversion uh, exploded, my blog, I, I, I had it under a different name, and I went and immediately switched it to Sayed Abdul Latif, uh, hoping that you know maybe no one would find it <laughs> on the blog. Whoa. But then, then it was all over the news. Like, yes, um, yes. It's too late now. We all, we all know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> we know where you live. So, yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's where that name came from. Right. Okay. My next question is books and online resources. Uh, what's been a help to you? What would you recommend, by the way, to um, Catholic <laughs> priests, Orthodox priests, other Christians who are curious about Islam, what resources would you recommend, other than listening to your good self and your blog, of course, but other than that, what resources would you recommend they perhaps look at? Uh, well, yeah, I listed a bunch of them on my blog, um, but I think, you know, um, YouTube has been, uh, I mean, you, you have to know, I think if you, if you go on YouTube and just type in anything, you, you'll get probably... The top, the top 
um, search results aren't maybe the best. I don't know. But I, f I found like a lot of the talks of Abdul Hakim Murad, Tim Winter, been very helpful uh, yeah. for me. He also has on, I think it's 11 hours, uh, 11 hour long course on YouTube of just the like, introduction to Islam uh, by Tim Winter, Abdul Hakim Murad. That's been very helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, uh, your own blog or your own, your videos have been helpful for me. I think, uh, there's a, there's a blog that I've, I found also very helpful. Um, a, a YouTube, uh, channel, let's talk religion. Oh yeah. Uh, I think that's, it's not, it's not, uh, a channel that's exclusively devoted to Islam, but I would say a good two thirds of the videos are that, um, that, um, he produces are about the history of Islam and different aspects of Islam. Like what is, uh, what is Sufism, even Arabi? Mm. Uh, what is, uh, what is Twelver Shia mm. <laughs> Islam? Uh, those sorts of things. And I found that very, uh, that very helpful. Uh, William Chittick. I didn't, oh, yeah. I didn't put him on my list, which I, on my blog, I probably should have, but he's got a lot of excellent books. Um, I'm reading his book on Ibn, I'm looking at it now, Ibn mm -hmm. Arabi at the moment, uh, published by One World. Uh, he's an incredibly, incredible writer, uh, as well as an American academic, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I found that uh, a lot of Western converts to Islam who understand, I think, uh, Christianity and Western culture, um, or sort of speak the language, I suppose, mm. who have converted to Islam have been the most helpful for me because they sort of, build a bridge between two worlds in a sense. Uh, so William Chittick's one, um, Guy Eaton, of course. Oh, yes. His books. Um, I've got, this is right. Oh, uh, most videos I do this these days. Yep. Islam, that's a new man, of course. Yeah, that book particularly was very helpful for yeah, me. Very good. And also uh, Saeed Hussein Nasser, uh, he wrote, yeah, uh, The Heart of Islam. <laughs> yeah, that's that probably the first book that I read that yeah. was... This was my uh, first book, and that was the second book I ever read. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it was the first book I read that was um, about Islam that wasn't, um, I guess, a critical of Islam, it, or it wasn't a it wasn't a polemical piece, no. sort of hit piece no, on Islam. No, he's so, a, he's a Muslim himself. Yeah. Yes. So I found okay. this very helpful. There's there's yeah there's there's a lot of resources out there and i think there's a lot of really there's a lot of really bad resources yes. so I, I think uh, uh yeah and i i uh, some christians who um were disturbed um friends of mine disturbed of regarding my conversion to islam would uh send me videos on youtube of different muslim preachers that um uh, say things that are sort of questionable and, and i have to warn them like to be more, you know, to be more discerning of, <laughs> of what you see and read on. Um, yeah, it always shows that, oh, because, because the KKK in America present themselves as a Protestant Christian mm -hmm. organization. That's why they burn the cross, because they're, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but one would never send, you know, um, an inquiry into Christianity. If you're hostile to Christianity, you wouldn't say, well, look what the KKK say about Christianity. I mean, they're not representative. They're extremists. Yeah. You know, yeah. and in a similar way. We don't necessarily endorse anyone who calls themselves a Muslim because some people are simply not in the normative Sunni tradition and are mm -hmm. completely deviant or extremist. So we've got to be discerning. And some some reason Christians don't get that. In Islam, we have a normative tradition. They, may, they had the four schools, etc. And this is Islam. 
Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I I think the normative tradition is 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 uh is um there there's more resources there are more resources now than there were maybe even five mm. or ten years ago I suppose mm. uh, right. so um yeah there's there's plenty out there and also I I feel you know uh, my conversion to Islam I I want to I I enjoy the conversation between these traditions between like the Christian mm. tradition and Islam. I think there needs to be more real meaty interaction between the two. So I feel, you know, like I said, um, embracing Islam is more, you know, moving towards a, a more, what I feel a, a, a more holistic understanding of, of things. And it's not necessarily, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely no, in my conversion, the sense of, I was uh, rejecting, something or rejecting Christ or, you know, no. certainly, you know, Christ within the context of Islam is recontextualized, you know, um, and there's, and there's, there is, and there's even a high Christology, I think in, mm. in certain aspects of Islam, certainly if you read Ibn Arabi, I think. Mm. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, on behalf of Christians as to, you know, Islam and what Islam says about Christ and other religions, etc. Uh, so I think that his mother as well, uh, yeah. Mary, mm -hmm. who's obviously honored in Catholicism, has a whole chapter of the Quran named after Surah Miriam, exactly. of course. And, and Jesus is highly revered uh, in, in the Islamic tradition as a great prophet and messiah, born of a virgin, uh, who did many wonderful miracles uh, by the permission of God. So, um, you know, and this is the early Christology. This is the Christology of uh, the earliest church uh, and mm -hmm. of the earliest disciples. It's not a, it's not a novelty or an innovation or in his no. lab view. This is the authentic original understanding of Jesus reestablished and re, uh, and re and reproclaimed to the world in Islam. Alhamdulillah. Yes. And I think there's a lot of fruitful discussion to be had um, mm. between uh, Christianity and Islam, particularly. I mean, that's my background, and so uh, I, I have I have no animosity towards anybody, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I you know I feel bad, frankly, for a lot of the Catholics and Christians who are, are trying to uh, maintain a, a traditional understanding and a traditional practice of the faith that sometimes um, even their own hierarchy um, yes. uh, tries to I don't know put stumbling blocks in their way <laughs> yeah. Especially, yeah especially the, the current pontiff arguably but yeah. that's a commercial subject but that's another story <laughs> i mean it, it ties in perhaps with my last question about your hopes and plans for the future and i suspect given what you're saying and your personality and your disposition as an irenic bridge builder seeking unity rather than um you know antagonism that this kind of interfaith I don't mean interfaith in a kind of watery, liberal, kumbaya. Sense. Right. I mean, a robust interfaith which recognizes the truths of Islam, but nevertheless seeks to communicate in a, in a peaceable way, uh, in a way mm -hmm. mutual respect with the people of the book, Jews and Christians. I mean, this may well, I, I don't want, I can't speak for you or say what you should do, but it would seem to be a natural place where you could contribute a lot in the future, perhaps. Inshallah. Inshallah. Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, yeah, as far as my future, you know, 
you know, coming back to Pittsburgh and sort of stepping into stepping away from um, my Christian milieu and the, the whole Christian world, mm. it, it really was a sort of a, a a leap into the dark. So I mm. I had no idea how things would go or what I would do or where I would be 10 years from now. Mm. Uh, but I sort of felt that this was the correct um, decision. And this is, you know, by God's providence, this is where I've been led. And I couldn't do anything otherwise, I suppose. So, um, so yeah, I don't know where I will be 10 years from now, but I do, I, I, I've made a lot of wonderful connections uh, in the Muslim world and, and with a lot of um, respected scholars and translators, uh, fellow converts um, who know their way around pretty well, sort of mm. the Muslim world. So I have a lot of, um, you're in good, good hands. You're in yeah, good, good hands. So in good hands. I have a lot of good guides. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, so I feel very. Uh, um, it's so very important to have, to have to have good friends, good, good guides mm -hmm. uh, at, at all stages of life, but particularly in the early days of, of embracing Islam, when you know one's not quite sure the lay of the land and who to trust, yeah. who not to trust, and so on. But uh, I, I know for a fact that you are being looked after very well, and that alhamdulillah, that's that's good news. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I'll learn. I still need to learn Arabic. <laughs> which is indispensable. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm um, continuing my education uh, probably in the U S for a while and then perhaps mm. go overseas. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see, but um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, I feel very uh, positive about the future <laughs> right now. So, Yeah. Okay, well, that's uh, perhaps we can uh, conclude there. Um, so it's a beautiful story, and there's much to ponder on uh, in in what you've been through and what you've learned. And uh, as I said repeatedly, I'll put the link to your blog below where people can explore more some of your uh, recent themes and writings and uh, recommended books and online resources that have been a, a help to you. Um, and um, so, thank you very much indeed, sir, for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you. This has been wonderful. So, okay. Salam alaikum to you. Alaikum salam. Take okay. care, Paul. Bye-bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.